So 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Let's hear God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is God's word. Uh, one of the questions that uh, Christians uh, wrestle with from time to time is this question, how can I know for sure that what I believe is true? And that, that question, it comes in lots of different ways. Uh, for example, uh, you might ask, how can I really know that the God I believe in is real and not just something that the church made up sometime in the past? Or how can I know for sure that when I die, I will actually go to be with God? Uh, sometimes these questions can cause a lot of doubt and uncertainty. Uh, how do we know what's true? Or maybe for some of you, the question goes more like this. How can I know that Christianity is true? Or how can I know there is a God? And, and if there is a God, how would I go about finding him? How would I know if I've actually met him? And these questions are all answered in this passage uh, from 1 John. Uh, this passage, this is the introduction to a letter that was written by a man named John. Uh, he was an apostle. Uh, and uh, John wrote this letter sometime toward the end of the first century. And he wrote this letter to people who were doubting, people who were struggling with knowing what was right, uh, people who needed help. And uh, these were people, they had, they had become believers in, in the Christian message, and yet they had people come along and say to them, hey, look, we've found a new and improved version of the Christian faith. And so if you come and listen to us, we'll help you find a new secret knowledge, you know, something more than what you've received. And so the readers of this letter, they were extremely confused. They, they weren't sure what they believed anymore. And the effect of this, it actually had an impact on their relationship with God. They weren't sure if they really knew God anymore. And so John wrote this letter to clear up the confusion, but more importantly, to restore confidence. That those who read this letter, that they would go, aha, yes, I do know the truth. I do know God. I have met him. And uh, the way John restored their confidence was to remind them of the original message that they had already heard and that they had received. The message that he and the other apostles proclaimed. And that's where John begins this letter. He begins by reminding his readers, and therefore us today, what that original message is. What he and the other apostles proclaimed. Uh, you'll notice that's the main point of this passage. That which we proclaimed. He mentions that twice in the passage. And when, whenever he says we, you know, we proclaimed, we heard, we saw, we did this and that, he's talking as an official apostle. 
someone Jesus commissioned. There was John, uh, Peter, James, a whole bunch of these apostles, 12 in all, and uh, that's John is writing on behalf of them. And so let's look at the details of this passage, and we'll see that if you want to know God, if you want to have confidence that you really do know the true and living God, you need to know these three things from this passage. The three things are what the apostles proclaimed, how certain their proclamation is, and why they proclaimed it, why they proclaimed this message. So let's first of all think of what is it that the apostles proclaimed? And we're told in verses 1 and 2 what they proclaimed. So verse 1, uh, John says that the apostles proclaimed something that they have heard, uh, something they saw, something they even touched. And we're going to come back that, to that in a moment. <clears throat> but he says it's concerning the word of life. The apostles proclaimed the word of life. Now what does that mean? It's actually a statement uh, that he unpacks in verse 2. The word of life, this life was made manifest and uh, we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So what's John talking about? He's actually talking about a person. He's talking about someone that he's met, someone he's seen, talked to, even touched. And John is talking here about Jesus. And so he's saying this is what the apostles proclaimed. They proclaimed Jesus to the world. And John tells us two things about Jesus in these verses. The first thing he tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's what he means when he calls Jesus the word of life. The word of life. Uh, this is the same words that he used to describe Jesus in the opening of his gospel. You know that famous opening? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. See, it's the same language in his letter. So the word, this is John's uh, description or title for Jesus. Uh, it's a technical title, which means that Jesus is the ultimate reality behind everything. And it means that Jesus is the clearest revelation of all that God is. Okay, if you want to know God, you find him in Jesus. That's what it means, the word of life. But he's, Jesus, he's not only the word, he's the life. The life. What life? Life itself. Uh, verse 2 says that he is the eternal life which was with the Father. And so he's, he's saying he's something very significant about Jesus, that he has always existed. He's eternal, the eternal life. And so he's telling us that Jesus, if he's the eternal life which was with the Father, then that means he must be the Son. So here we have John showing us the Son of God, who has existed forever, for all of eternity, never had a beginning. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is God, the eternal Son. But then the other thing John proclaimed about Jesus is that he is the eternal Son who has appeared, who has turned up. 
Uh, imagine, you know, someone turns up on your doorstep. <laughs> uh, well, John's saying, God turned up on our doorstep. We've seen him. Uh, so that's what he means. Verse 2, the life was made manifest. Uh, we have seen it, we testify to it, proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest. We don't often use that word manifest, but it just means, um, you know, it's been revealed. It's like, uh, you know, something's behind a curtain and then, ta-da, here it is. And uh, it's, it's like John is saying, the invisible God, the one you can't see, He's become visible. We can now see him. We can now see God. Where is he? He's in. Jesus is God. And in his gospel, again, he states the same idea, but he says it like this. The word became flesh. See, God, who has existed forever, became a man. And uh, to put it another way, the eternal God became a human being so that he is fully God and fully man in one person. That's Jesus. Uh, this is a lot of heavy theology for an early morning, uh, but that's what the text is saying. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so just try to get your heads around this. This is enormous. I know if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know, we've heard this a thousand times. But if you just stop and think about it, it is just amazing to think about. But here is this man who lived 2,000 years ago. He was born like any other baby apart from uh, virgin birth. Uh, he grew up like any other child. He learned to crawl. He learned to walk. He learned to talk. You know, mama, dada, no, no, abba. That's, I think that's what I said, abba. Uh, he, he learned, uh, as he grew up, he learned to swing a hammer, to bang a nail into a piece of wood. He grew up. If you were living in Palestine that time and you're walking down the street, one day you could have walked past Jesus. And John is saying that what he and the other apostles went around proclaiming was that this Jesus that you could meet on the street, that you could bump into on a busy road, that he is God in the flesh. That's what they proclaimed. <laughs> it is incredible. And so this is what John is saying. This is how we know God. This is how we actually know him. He's turned up. He's come into our world. He's, he, this is the author of all history has stepped into history. The author of life has turned up on our doorstep. That's why Jesus could say to the disciples, fellas, if you've seen me, you've seen God. That's what they proclaimed. And see, this is, a, this is the heart of the Christian faith. The, the heart of the Christian message is that God has come into the world in the person of Jesus. And he has done something something that we could not do for ourselves. This is huge. This is very big news. It's also very unique when you compare the Christian message to all of the other messages out in the world. You know, all of the other religions, they also have a message to proclaim. But in every other religion, the message goes like this. 
Here are some things that you need to do. Here are some steps you must follow. Here are some rules you must keep. And if you keep those rules well enough, you will earn your way to eternal life. Look at how different the Christian message is. The message the apostles proclaimed goes like this. God has come to us. He has done all the things that we need to do to secure eternal life for us. And then he gives it to us as a gift. This is the Christian message. This is the message John proclaimed. And notice just one more time how, how John calls Jesus the eternal life. Jesus is the eternal life come to us so that if we embrace him, if we put our faith in him, what does that mean? It means we have eternal life. Jesus got that across by saying, this is eternal life, that you know me. See, if you know Jesus, you have eternal life. This is amazing. This is what the apostles proclaimed. <clears throat> so that's the first thing. That's, that's what the, the apostles proclaimed. Now, the second thing we see here, though, in this passage, is how reliable that proclamation is. Uh, because if you think about it, this is a very, very big deal. This is a very radical message. Uh, God becoming a man to give eternal life. That sounds pretty incredible. And so we've got to ask the question, is this right? Is this true? Did this really happen? Did God really come into history and walk around and, and, and die on a cross and, and uh, give eternal life? Did it really happen? Uh, this message is so incredible that most people in the world do doubt it. Uh, it's been very common over the last couple of hundred years to say that the church made this up sometime in the third century. You know, the church was thinking, how can we um, you know, bolster our power a bit, you know, make people conform a bit more? Oh, let's, let's make Jesus into God. That'll, um, that'll do it. Uh, that's how people, many people think that's what happened. Uh, this is something that's obviously rigorously opposed by Jews, by Muslims, by all those uh, cults like Jehovah's Witness and that. Uh, so many people refuse to, to accept this proclamation that Jesus is God in the flesh. And uh, obviously secular people, people who say they have no religion, vigorously oppose this because they don't like the idea of a God that you're accountable to, especially not one who actually comes to us, a God that you can know personally and uh, listen to and stuff. And so people don't like this. And that's nothing new. John had op opponents in, in his day. That's why he had to write this letter. Because people were saying, there's no way that God could become a man. And so John wrote this letter, and he wrote us to, to tell us how we can know this is true. How do we know this actually happened? And uh, the answer is in verse 1. So let's have a look at verse 1 again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have touched. Okay, so the five senses are, you know, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching. And uh, John mentions three of them here. And uh, he's saying that he and the, the other apostles... 
really did see, hear and touch God in the flesh. Uh, John is insisting that what he and the other apostles proclaimed was not some legend, it's not some myth, it's not some ex you know, mystical experience that they had. He's not talking about some vision that some guy on his own saw in a cave and then came out and you know, told people. Uh, he's telling us that it's just, it's just this thing that happened, this plain fact of history that we could go up and, and see and, and talk to him and uh, touch him, give him a hug. This is who Jesus is. He's real. Uh, you know, if they had CCTV cameras back then, we could go back and look up the footage and see all the things Jesus did. Uh, if there was forensic science back then, we could examine the DNA. Uh, I mean, that's how you establish facts, isn't it? If you have a court case and you want to establish some facts, you get out those sorts of things. But what happens if there's no CCTV? What happens if there's no forensic science? How do you establish a fact? Eyewitness testimony. That's how you do it today. That's how they did it back then. The way you know something's true is you get people who say, we saw it. You cross-examine them. You listen to their stories. You compare it to other ones who are saying the same thing. And you've come to realize, well, there's no other explanation. They must have seen this thing, therefore it must be true. And that's what John is saying here. He's saying Jesus really is God come because we've seen him. We've heard him. We've touched him. And you know, the thing that really did it for the apostles, though, the thing that really convinced them that Jesus is God in the flesh, do you know what it was? The resurrection. That's why I'm talking about this today. Uh, it's the resurrection. Uh, this is what John's referring to in all of these references to seeing Jesus, you know, seeing, hearing, touching. Uh, John, uh, he uses this, um, you know, there's, there's lots of Greek words. This letter was originally written in Greek, by the way. There's lots of Greek words that you can use to convey the idea of seeing something. And the one John uses in this passage, it's the same one that he uses to describe that moment that he personally came to realize that Jesus really is who he is. And it happened on that third morning after Jesus was killed on the cross. And we read about it earlier. Remember Mary, uh, she got up really early to go to the tomb. And when she got there, the stone was rolled away. And uh, then she had a panic attack because when she looked in there, the body wasn't there. And so she ran back to tell um, Peter and, and John, maybe they were um, having breakfast at the time and they could hear these footsteps coming towards them and she comes in and says, the body's not there. And they like, what? So they jump up, run to the tomb. I think it's funny how John records it because he records it like they had a little running race and he won. <laughs> I don't know if that was his intention to say, you know, he got there before Peter. Um, I'm sure it wasn't, but... <laughs> But John got there first. But anyway, Peter sort of barged through. He went in, had a look. Then John went in, and John says when he saw the, the way the um, grave clothes were arranged, uh, very strange. You know, if someone was going to steal the body, what are they going to do? Um, well, the grave clothes would go with it. Or, um, you know, if they unwrap it, they're all just going to be thrown everywhere. But John, they're looking at it. What's going on? And then John says that's actually the moment 
that he, well, he says it about it in John 20, verse 8, he saw and believed. That was the point in which everything that he had seen and heard about Jesus, all like, you know, the penny dropped. <laughs> he now realized this really is God in the flesh. The one who died and rose again. <laughs> now, John also says that they um, touched Jesus. And when you think about touching Jesus, you know, what, what story comes to mind? Of course, it's going to be the resurrection because when Jesus showed up to the apostles after he had risen, they all thought they were seeing a ghost at first. And uh, Luke, if we have a look at Luke um, 24, verse 36, uh, Jesus, he, he comes to them and he says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. See, touch. Uh, and remember Thomas. Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus showed up after being risen. And uh, Thomas, he, he said, I will never believe that unless I see with my own eyes and if I get my finger and I put it into where those nails went through Jesus' hands and put my hand in his side and then Jesus shows up and he says, Thomas, come and do that. Here's my hand. Touch. And when Thomas touched, what did he say? My Lord and my God. See, the penny dropped. Now they realize it's the resurrection that confirmed to them that Jesus really is God in the flesh. And what they heard, saw, and touched is what they then proclaimed to the world. And so what we see here is that the truth of the Christian faith really hangs on these, the, this proclamation, this, the testimony of men and women who saw, men and women who heard, men and women who touched. And uh, they recorded in letters like um, 1 John. And so we can know that God really has come because of th their testimony. And that means if, if the witness of the apostles is proved wrong, if their testimony is shown to be false, then what, what does that mean for Christianity? We chuck it out. <laughs> we say it's all nonsense. If their witness is wrong then the whole thing is false. But here's the thing about their testimony. The thing about their testimony is that all of the apostles died for proclaiming that Jesus is who he is. All of them died. I mean, John died of old age, but he died in a prison. And, uh, yeah, in fact, if we go back to verse 2, Ethan, have a look at, um, see that word testify in, the middle of verse 2. That's it's actually a translation of a Greek word. It's the Greek word from which we get the English word martyr. A martyr. And see, the apostles, they were literally martyrs for going around proclaiming that Jesus has risen, that he is God, that he is to be worshipped. They were killed for doing that. And that's because when you go around in, a, in an empire that insists that you must worship the emperor, if you go around saying, no, 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 you must worship Jesus because he alone is God, 
that gets you into trouble. If you go around in a Jewish culture saying, um, you know, Yahweh, he's actually this man, Jesus, <laughs> that gets you into trouble. And when you go around convincing thousands that it's true, that gets you into major trouble. And so eventually you get rounded up, you get locked up, and then you get killed, which is exactly what happened to these apostles. And if you think about that, look, people die for their beliefs all the time. Think of those lunatics who strap bombs to themselves and, and do terrible things. People die for their beliefs all the time. People die for, for, for things that they believe are true but are actually not because they were misled and deluded. But here's the thing. No one dies for something they know to be wrong. No one gives up their life for something they, they have made up. No one does that. And yet the apostles, they gave their lives for what they believed. And for them it was so undeniable that they had seen God, the Son of God, risen from the dead. It was so undeniable to them and it gave them such confidence in eternal life that they would sooner die than deny what they heard, saw and touched. No one does that for something that they've made up. And so what do you do with that? This is a fact of history. And this is important for us to understand because sometimes you'll come across people who say, look, it doesn't matter if Christianity is true or not, just so long as it helps you live a good life. And you know, that is totally flawed, thinking like that. Because Christianity, it's not just a, an inner belief. It's not just a set of principles to live by. It's not just the teaching of Jesus. That's not the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is this historical fact that the Son of God has come into the world. He has died on the cross to pay for our sin. He has risen again to give eternal life to all who believe in him. That's the essence of Christianity. And if that's not true, then who cares what, what Jesus taught? Who cares if it makes your life better? If it's not true, it's not worth bothering with. But it is true. The, the resurrection proves that it's true. And therefore, we can trust what the apostles proclaimed. You can hang your life on this. Now, I know there's been a, a, a couple of times in my life where I have had doubts, where I've been rattled and thought to myself, you know, is there really life beyond the grave? Is, is, is all this true? And then how, how, how am I assured again? I always go back to this one thing. The resurrection happened. There's the only thing in the whole world that can give us any certainty about what's true. That Jesus died and rose again. And that's where we can stand. That's how we know uh, what is the truth. That's how we can know God. Because he's come. And he's proved it. So there you go. The apostles, they proclaim this good news about Jesus. We can trust their eyewitness testimony. But there's a third thing that John tells us in this passage. And he tells us here why he went around proclaiming this news. Because if you think about it, if proclaiming something is going to get you into trouble and get you killed, why would you go through with it? And he tells us why in uh, verse 3. So let's look at verse 3. Uh, 
that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So here's the reason John went around proclaiming it. Here's why he wrote it down. He wants you to have fellowship with him and with God. And fellowship is a word that's uh, often, not mis uh, it's often misunderstood. We talked about this a couple of months ago, but you, you may have forgotten by now. Um, you know, we talk about fellowship as in, let's go and have um, a coffee together and talk about the weather and um, your latest illness. Uh, that's apparently Christian fellowship. Uh, but fellowship, it's much more than that. What fellowship means, it's actually this deep connection that people experience when they have a common interest or a common goal in life, uh, a common uh, commitment. And uh, you, you can find fellowship in all kinds of places. If you're a member of a footy club, uh, then you have fellowship there because you all share this common interest and common goal uh, together in uh, winning um, premierships. Uh, if you're married, you have fellowship um, because, you know, with your wife or husband, uh, you have this common goal of loving each other and sharing life together. That's, that's that sense of fellowship. Uh, if you're in a land care group or a bird watching group or, you know, anything, if it's something where there's a common interest, a common goal, and a commitment, then you experience this deep bond with people who share that commitment. And what that bond is, it's, it's, it's fellowship. That's what fellowship is. And here John is saying that you can actually have fellowship, this, this deep bond, this connection, not just to, to him and the other apostles, but notice he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So here he's saying you can have this relationship with God that is this deep bond, you know, that sense of connection and enjoyment, you know, sharing something together. You can actually have that with God. And how do you have that? By taking hold of Jesus. By putting your trust in Jesus... That brings you into this relationship with God where you share this bond. And that's what we were created to have. That's why you know, we'll always be restless in life until we have that connection with God. Uh, the other reason John um, proclaimed this, he says in verse 4, uh, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Uh, now that word our... Um, there's a little bit of uncertainty in the, um, the, the text. Uh, it, it might be actually your. Your, our. We're not sure, but it probably means both. <laughs> John surely would have been happy to see people enjoying this connection with God uh, through the proclamation of Jesus. Uh, but it also makes those who, who take hold of it full of joy. Here's a source of joy that nothing can take away. Not even death. Because if you have Jesus... You have eternal life. You will be happy forever. That's, the, that's complete joy. <clears throat> and so we started with this question, can you know God for sure? Can you really know him? Can you know that you've met him? And the answer is, yes, you can. You know you've met God when you've met Jesus. 
because Jesus is God. And how can we be sure of that? Because of eyewitness testimony, people who saw, heard, and touched, and they proclaimed Jesus. And the result of believing their testimony is this fellowship with God. And so if you are having doubts, or if you, you may have doubts in the future, here's an anchor for your soul. You know, when you get lost in the sea of doubt, here's an anchor that will keep you grounded, and that is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who died and rose again, who came into this world to give you eternal life. Rest your soul in Christ. Risen again. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, praise you for this uh, great message that the, the apostles proclaimed, a message of a saviour, a king, uh, the message of, of God himself coming to our world. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for uh, all that we can read about his life, how he lived that perfect life, how he showed uh, your holiness in practice, how he showed your love and compassion to, to people who the world rejects. Uh, we thank you, Father, for how we see his power displayed in all of his miracles and, and uh, his truth displayed in everything that he taught. And we thank you, Father, for this greatest work of going to the cross to take on our sin, to pay for that in full, and then rising again to show that it has indeed been paid. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus is risen and that by resting our faith in him, that we can be certain uh, for this life and for the life to come, that death isn't the end, but that we too will rise and be with Christ forever. We thank you for this, the assurance that that gives us uh, in a world that's so uh, full of uncertainty and, and troubled. We, we thank you, Lord, that there is this anchor for our soul, that it's in Christ and him alone. And we pray it in his name. Amen. <clears throat>